Commence Operation Vacu Suck with the giant yes. Statue, Statue yeah. of Liberty maze robot turned into Maid. Mega Maid. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know why I said maze. What a dumbass! Uh, God, what an amazing movie that is. Well, yeah. Well, I mean that was, that guy was like Trump before Trump. <laughs> is it is it streaming anywhere? Do you know if Spaceballs or anything? Spaceballs I don't know. Related? It should I be. I, I don't know. You know what I've been I've, I've started to do. I don't do it very often, but. There are some movies, you know, like Spaceballs or Pulp Fiction, just certain movies where you're like, I never want to be in a place where I don't have that movie. Yeah. I so you. I'll just buy them on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of like trying to, I think at one point, you know, it's like, oh, build the biggest catalog. Just build the stuff where you're like, there's certain movies that I need to be able to see when I want to see them. The rest of them, you know, if they're available, I'll watch them. If they're not, I'll live. You know what movie hits that list for me for some stupid reason? And it's not even a movie you would expect considering like how how pretentiously artsy I am about film. Die Hard. Mm, yeah, you talk about Die Hard a lot. I, I think I you like movie. Die Hard a lot more than I do. Dude, I love that movie. It's, such, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the movie that defined a genre. You talk about Die Hard the way that um, some people talk about Heat. And both of which I'm like, well, I enjoyed them, but I don't care if I ever see either of those movies again. Yeah, but Die Hard, Die Hard was the movie that defined the movies that would end up being like Heat. You know what I mean? See, I, I, th- I think that you're forgetting that Death Wish existed before that. Yeah, but Death Wish is a very different movie. You know, it, was, it wasn't the, the hero's journey in the same way that Die Hard was. Oh, shit. Who was I listening to? There's a 60% chance this was on Joe Rogan, as almost always when I say. I heard something the other day and I can't remember where it was. Mm-hmm. Somebody was talking about um, Death Wish, you know, because Bruce Willis just did a remake of it, mm-hmm. um, which is probably just like a giant commercial for the NRA. But um, basically, they were talking about like, you can't remake Death Wish because yeah. De- Death Wish was like this morally complex movie in the sense that, like, when he kills people in the movie, Mm-hmm. Like he he looks fucked up. Like he's yeah. not he's not like this vicious event. And in the sequels, they made him into like this vicious avenging angel. Mm-hmm. But in the first one, like he's a normal dude. And like the first person he kills, like he looks like he's about to shit himself when he does it. Absolutely. And th- that you might be right in the sense that that movie had a moral conscience that Die Hard doesn't. Exactly. Die Hard's yep. just like they're the bad guys. Kill the bad guys. No, d- Die Hard is definitely a a. A very caper-based movie, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's also very western. Yeah, it's it's fully western, absolutely. And and considering, well, and if it's fully western, then it's fully Kurosawa. Um, so the 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 archetype of the hero that, as we understand him, like the Joseph Campbell type, you know, introduction in the story, the point of no return, the the hero's journey as we understand it, is so clearly laid out in Die Hard <laughs> that I use it as kind of my way of defining that formula. Um, and so in many ways, it's, it's the movie that, that creates the genre um, and creates the hero's journey as we, we currently understand it in modern cinema. Yeah, which is like this morally ambiguous, you know, like the, the, hero, the hero doesn't have regret. You know, like uh, Liam Neeson and Taken and Liam Neeson in the other movie where he plays a badass. They kill the bad guys and they don't feel anything. Rambo. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's another thing I think um, I heard. It might have been the same program. Yeah, they were talking about Rambo. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, Rambo, you know, it's like this movie about, uh, you know, kill the commies and all this. And I'm like, oh, this is not, that's, you guys are thinking of the second movie. Yeah, that's the entirely one. not. Like the first, one's, the first one's about PTSD and mental illness. Yes. And it's not called Rambo. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called, called First Blood. Blood. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, that movie is about coming home from Vietnam and being fucked up and then finding out all of your friends are fucking dead. You know, the, the yeah. ones that survived. The whole movie starts with him coming to visit uh, War Buddy and finding out the guy's died of cancer. Yep. And then he has a run-in with a fascist cop, Brian Dennehy. And he retreats to the woods to get away because he's still fucked up. You know, the way that uh, people with PTSD, especially after Vietnam, retreated to homelessness Mm -hmm. and hides, but they keep coming after him. So like that whole movie is not about revenge. That movie is about actually not wanting to be violent, but being forced into it. Yeah, it's about survival, sure, surely, and and survival not just in in a physical way, but in a mental way too, as well. That's why they that's why they fucked up that movie with those sequels because they made it completely different. I, I feel the same way about Terminator. Not that Terminator Two wasn't a good movie, but it really has zero to do with the first Terminator. Sure. It's, the first Terminator is a completely. It's a movie. It's a horror movie. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a horror. Thr- it's it's a horror thriller movie for sure. Yeah, and it's about the the fear of technology. Now mm-hmm. they carry some of that into the later ones, but they become action movies, mm-hmm. and that was not distinctly not an action movie. You know, do you remember the scene where like he's going through the apartment with that laser light on his gun, and it's oh, yeah. just it's all dark, it's all mm-hmm. black, and all you see is that laser light sweeping across the room. It was one of the creepiest scenes ever. Yeah, sure. And that, I mean, Schwarzenegger is probably one of his best roles because it's one of the few times he played a villain other than Mr. Freeze. Ugh, that doesn't even count. <laughs> that movie should just be erased. Dude, Clooney still apologizes for that movie. I love it. You know what, though? I, I It didn't do anything to his reputation. I think he has probably one of the most stellar reputations. I don't mean on a personal level or anything like that. I mean, just what he's done in the business, everybody has the most respect for him, I think. Well, plus the, the movie, the pet projects he takes on, the philanthropy, like all the stuff that he produces, uh, you, you know, and I don't know Clooney at all, so I, I can't speak to this with any real accuracy other than the things that I've seen. But he seems like the kind of guy who just green lights really, really good projects. Like Good Night and Good Luck is still one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's 100% Clooney, like from top to bottom, that's Clooney. Yeah, he just seems like a solid, stable dude is what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it helps that he got into show business super, super late and got his ass kicked before that. Well, no, he got into it early. He just didn't succeed for a really yeah, long yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, He was <laughs> on the Golden point. Girls in the 80s. Yeah, good point. Playing yeah, he, like a young cop. Yeah, he played bit crappy parts for... Well, not crappy parts, but he played small parts for a really long time before he finally got his break on ER. Yeah, I don't... Actually, you know, it might not be the same episode, but there's another episode of Golden Girls where Quentin Tarantino's in there. Before Speak, he had done anything. Speaking of things that you bring up or that we bring up quite a bit, you bring up Golden Girls so often. <laughs> it's a huge part of my, my upbringing. So maybe I've never explained this before. First of all, I'm half Sicilian. So oh, I didn't know that. I didn't even know that. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm half Sicilian. Okay. So like all the Sicily jokes, I kind of get those because I have relatives that uh, talk about stuff like that or mm. had. I mean, most of them are dead now. But sure. I had my, my grandmother's sister had a 
was like personality wise an eighty percent match to Sophia on that show. Mm. She she was a, when I was a kid. She bought me like this little. It was like this looked like a little green. Is about the size size of my fist. It was like a little green head, but it had feet attached to the bottom. You know, it's like a toy, and it had this little green thing flapped out. When you squeezed it, it made farts. <laughs> and she was, and I mean, she would like in her sixties. She would have like she was the person who put whoopee cushion underneath her chair, and then invite a friend over. And then just slowly lean on the whoopee cushion and play it out like it was real. Oh, man. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, like, there's, there's a lot of that. And plus, my family all watched that show when it was on because of that. Even though it was, ironically enough, it, or not ironically, funny enough, the two women playing the Sicilians in that show were actually Jewish. Yeah. But that, that show had a lot of... You know, it was like the one show when I was younger that I could share with multi-generations. My grandparents' generation, my mother's generation, my generation. Yeah. So that's why it comes up a lot. And I watch it a lot because it's like, it's like one of my safe shows. Uh, I gotcha. I don't have a, I don't have a safe show anymore. Mm, I just like, I guess maybe what I mean by safe show, different than soft shows, but safe shows, just like, this is something no matter what, when I put on be like, eh, I enjoy this. Sure. You know, like a, a friends would be one like that. It's not like, I'm not going to be like, it's the best thing ever. But if you put it on, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to laugh. Yeah, I never felt that way about Friends. Excuse me. I have water in my mouth. <laughs> I just left you hanging there. <laughs> no, it's fine. I feel like there's a whole generation of shows that I completely glossed over though during that period of my life. Well, I didn't come to Friends until seven years ago, six or seven years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I never watched Friends while it was actually physically on TV. Yeah, me neither. And, the, uh, and I don't think I got it. I mean, I, I, until I went through the whole thing once. And the first time what, what got me through that show wasn't necessarily that I really like, you know, like the whole romance thing, you know, the whole Ross Rachel thing. I fucking hate that shit just because it's, it's stupid. Like they're together, they're apart, they're together. It's annoying. It's yeah. frustrating. Sure. But like the two things that got me through that show the first time were, what's her name that plays Phoebe? Uh, I always, uh, uh, I always blank on her name. Um, even Lisa she, Kudrow. Thank you. She's fucking hilarious. So that got me through the show. And then uh, I've, since I was like a little kid, been in love with Courtney Cox. So mm. I, could, I could just watch her walk around the room and talk about, you know, uh, what she did at work today and be like, this is a good show. <laughs> well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do have my, my, my safe shows too, but they're harder to find now. Like, cause they're older. Like mm -hmm. I used to be really into cheers. Um, and I loved Night Court. Night Court was like my favorite I knew show you were of all time. Say Night Court. I really? I knew it. Anytime uh, somebody says something about this type of thing and they say, but you can't really find it, Night Court is usually one of the first ones to come out. I still don't understand why Night Court and Three's Company are not available for streaming. Uh, Three's Company is one of those too. You make a fucking fortune off of both of those shows because oh, they're so good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Cheers you can find. You can find Cheers. I think it's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. But that's what I mean. Like those type of things, those are the type of things you need to buy. Yeah, whatever show, whatever whatever service ends up getting Three's Company gets my money. And you know, um, one thing, you know, like I, I love streaming in a lot of ways, but streaming has ruined a few things. Um, one thing that it ruined was uh, marathons. Remember like a show that you liked, they do a TV marathon and you would, like for example, the one I'm thinking of is the New Year's Day Twilight Zone Marathon. Mm. Every year, I used to buckle I down yeah. on New Year's 
and try to get as many episodes of Twilight Zone in as I could. But then now that it's available all the time, I went through it once. I don't rewatch the Twilight Zone, but I used to. And it's, it's maybe just, you know, it's that ungratefulness where it's like, well, now that it's available all the time, it doesn't matter as much. I feel like for me, it's because my expectations of TV are different now. Um, there are so many shows that, and I'm sure that shows meant something, or, or not that they meant something, but I, I'm sure that TV was was just as as epic or well written or or whatever it is in whatever generation prior to. But I feel like I identify with this generations of t this generation's TV much more, um, and so the shows that I watch, like all the HBO shows and stuff like that, definitely strike a more a more present chord for me in their emotional weight. Yeah, and I say I'm I'm far less tied to current TV. I could care less about ninety per, no more than ninety percent. 95% of the stuff that's on the air now. I usually go back and watch old stuff. By yeah. the way, I finally can I started watching now that it's available on streaming, Veronica Mars. Oh yeah. <laughs> I understand why everybody loves Kristen Bell now. She's yep. so good in that show. Yeah, she's amazing in that show. Yeah, I I mean I yeah, yesterday was the fourth of July. We're recording on on July fifth. So yesterday I didn't go to barbecues or anything. I don't drink, so I got no reason to go to a barbecue. So I, I sat down and I watched pretty much the entire first season of Veronica Mars in one day. Wow. Yeah. It's like I still got to do that. Like, yeah, yeah I, haven't, I haven't watched that show in a while. I loved that show when it was on, though. It's coming back, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, I, so. hope, I hope they do it well. I mean, Kristen Bell's a big part of, of the new series. So I hope that they stay true to a lot of what made that first series great. So I'm, I'm curious as to what, what's going to come out of it. She's pretty selective about the stuff that i mean she's not really involved in a lot of garbage you know yeah, you look that's at true. like uh i have so much respect for the good place that they're ending after this season i think yeah, that's, a, that, that's a brave show in many ways actually it's it's their i think it's their fourth season will be the final season and okay yeah because they already recorded season three i just haven't seen it yet yep and they said the reason they're doing it is because if they continue they just be repeating they don't want to repeat i yeah. love that like, oh, cool. Awesome. So go on and do something else. Maybe you could all do something together. You know, like nothing. That's, 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 I knew you hate this show, but that's the one thing that I love about the idea of American Horror Story mm. is that they can't repeat themselves because they change it every fucking season. Sure. I hate that show still. It's such a brilliant concept, though. It it's like, a great, it's a great concept. Sure. But I mean, cast, recycling writers. Just, yeah. I mean, the croissants are a brilliant concept, but I, there are plenty of people who fuck those up too. Yeah, I don't know. Oh I've god, been, I hate that show so I love much. That show. <laughs> I wouldn't say I love it. I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm actually thing. weirdly shocked that you like that show. I mean, it's it's got so many problems. Um, mm -hmm. And from season to season, I know that they change it and it, it allows it room to breathe and grow and evolve. But like, it's the same ensemble, same group of writers and everything. But it, the writing, the dialogue is so canned to me. Like, I can't deal with it. The second season was what made it for me. That just. Jessica Lang in the second season made that show for me forever. Mm. She is at that as that evil, evil. Was she a nurse? Yeah, she was a nurse uh, in the in the asylum. No, she was a nun. Right? I don't remember. She man. was a nun and a nurse. It's been a long time since I saw it, but she was so good that everything else, I don't know. Like uh, it just worked for me. So I, I will always be loyal to that show. I can't you know, I haven't it. watched it since season three. 
Yeah, I can't do it. I mean, I, I fought my way through season one. I saw some season two, watched a significant portion of season three and just could not handle it. Season three is not the one to judge that show by. If you didn't finish season two, then you don't know the best of that show. Because season two, you have to get all the way to the end because season two is fucking weird and it goes so many crazy places. Aliens, Nazis, all of this crazy shit. But the way that it wraps around at the end is, dare I say it, brilliant. Maybe maybe I'll give it a shot again purely because of you. But I mean, if I were left to my own devices, I would never even try to watch that show again. It's just... I don't know. It's if you haven't got to the end, if you didn't see that whole sweep of that second season, then you, I don't. I'm not. I don't think that you can compare to my experience because my it, the my main experience is based on the entirety of that season. Mm, so, I see. Um, it's possible that if I only saw the pieces that you saw, maybe I'd feel the same way you do. Yeah, season three. Season three was kind of my entry point, and I think that probably left a bad taste in my mouth for pretty much everything else. That's the weakest of those three seasons. Oh man, yeah. Season three was so painful. Like I it was just the, the worst. One is fantastic. And yeah, shows the hotel one. I haven't got there yet. So many things stacked up. Just don't have the time. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I, I I'm gonna be honest. I don't even watch TV much at all anymore. And it's not even by choice. I wish I had time to watch TV, but I'm I'm so busy these days. Fifty percent of the stuff I watch now is either old boxing matches or old baseball games. Huh? I just put them on, and I don't have any sound on, and then I listen to a podcast. It's a beautiful thing. Interesting. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I pay five dollars a month now for ESPN just to be able to watch the old stuff. Jeez! Wow. So I, you know, think about it. It was like, oh, boxing. You want to watch boxing? I want to see Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Sure. True. Good point. I want to see, like I put up on the, the Instagram, I want to see Hagler and Hearns. Oh my God, that fight is amazing. Yeah. That fight is literally a brawl. This, you know, like a, one of the things I hate about boxing is uh, when they hang on each other. Yeah. Like, okay, this is really boring. You're just hanging on each other. I know it's because they're exhausted or whatever, but that Hagler Hearns, that happens like so little. It's like maybe, maybe 10 times the whole, they only go three rounds. Happens like 10 times. The rest of the time, they're fucking, they're not even like playing like uh, artful boxing. They're literally slugging at each other for three rounds, like throwing haymakers. Yeah, you can, miss- tell, you can tell those two dudes don't like each other. <laughs> oh my God. And it's crazy because Hagler was, he's like a, a, you know, he moved his head a lot, but he stays in place. He's planted. And Hearns was like popping around and jumping and dancing and, and he's got a longer reach. So he's like trying to attack from a distance. So it's totally two different fighting styles. And you're like, okay, so what's going to win here? Speed or strength? Mm-hmm. In the end, strength knocks Hearns on his ass. And <laughs> it's really cool to watch that. I mean, not to watch people get beat, but just to watch like, you know, they call it the, what do they call it? The gentle art? Is that the what they used to call boxing. I don't know. You can really start to see the, when you watch old boxing matches, you can really see the art. Plus you can see some weird shit. Like when Hearns is coming into the, the round, you see all the guys around him. And I don't know why. I don't know if it was his thing, but most of these guys are wearing like light gray tuxedos with corsages. So they look like groomsmen for a fucking wedding. It's really weird. And then there's like one guy and I'm like, is that like a skinny heavy D? <laughs> what would you call him? Just D? Skinny D. <laughs> yeah, medium weight D. 
Uh, so it's just because he had like the glasses, the same fade haircut. Yeah, yeah. It could have been him. Who knows? You know, maybe he got heavier when he got famous. Who knows? But yeah, it's fascinating to watch that stuff. But then I don't really care about the announcing. You know, I'm not trying to like learn something. I'm just sure. watching it. So then I'll put on podcasts and just like listen to, you know, Sam Harris talk to some dude about well, it was like this one. Some this week was like some medical thing. How can you do both? That seems really distracting. How how can you not? You listen to you watch and listen to things all the time. What do you mean? Yeah, but they usually correlate with each other. I don't know. It just <laughs> and they don't connect. I don't know. I'm just watching something move and hearing something that has nothing to do with movement. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's me. weird. Like, I, I feel like it would bother me. I'll try it just for the sake of it, but I feel like that would, would inherently bother me somehow. Think about when you watch things, uh, when you watch like montages, you're watching action, but you're not hearing the sound of that action. You're hearing yeah. music. Yeah, that's true. They're not correlated. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, still don't, I still don't think that I still don't think I could do it. Yeah, it's a great way to do two things at once, but like, not, and it's not taxing for me. It's really relaxing. Mm, interesting. I'll probably do that after this, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, what I was thinking about? Um, something, you know, I've, I've been stuck on that. Um, you know, I get these little snags, mental snags, where I keep thinking about a certain thing. And the one thing I keep thinking about is that line in the description about doing things better, finding a way to do things better. You know what we don't do on the show often enough? I could say like a hundred things. What? Recommendations. Oh, true. Like, and, and you know, like it could be like product recommendations, movie recommendations, stuff like that. We don't do that often enough. I think that like we should incorporate more recommendations in because I, I feel like it's something that we would do in person. Like, you know, hey, it, check this out. I just found, you know, like uh, the flea spray that I bought for the dog. Like, hey, this, this shit's really good. If you got a flea problem, get this stuff and there's no pesticides in it. Cool. And then that's part of a conversation. I like, I mean, I think that's part of doing things better sometimes is finding new things. I wonder, I wonder why, I mean, considering what the show used to look like, it seems like something that we would just naturally fall into, but yeah, we've never really done it. No, we we used to talk about like, oh, what are you watching? What are you listening? Which we kind of did in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Just almost like a, like we slipped into an old pattern, but yeah, like you, you feel like that would have been like, I recommend which makes far more sense in the context of what we're doing. Sure. So something to keep in mind as we move forward, because we are kind of doing it already in the sense that anytime we talk about a book, it's a recommendation. Sure. Because we're talking about, you know, we just talked about Veronica Mars. That's a recommendation. Sure. You know, if we're and, talking and about definitely it. go watch that show. That show is brilliant. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's in that. I would say that that Veronica Mars and the big Lebowski are mm-hmm. two of the freshest takes on the noir genre out there. I totally agree. Because, you know, take it, uh, taking the hard-boiled detective and making it a high school girl. That's an interesting twist. Taking the hard-boiled detective and making him a fucking middle-aged stoner. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> twist. Well, and just Lebowski on many levels too. It depends on when and how you watch that movie. But I feel like you get something entirely different out of it depending on where your headspace is. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they're also both... Southern California, which is totally noir. You know, like a, a lot of people think this is interesting. I was talking to somebody about noir recently. They're like, oh, New York. I'm like, no. Like, noir, yeah, noir is that, noir's LA, dude. It was LA and sometimes San Francisco. Yeah. 
sure. almost always LA. Yep, I agree. It was that oh, art oh, speaking, era. Speaking of, do you? Uh, I, I have a lot of hope for, um, and I really want to like the new uh, Tarantino project that's coming out. That's basically that genre. Oh yeah, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep, I'm very curious about it. it Which is a I've, nod to uh, Sergio Leone. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's 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 Tarantino falling back into form, and it's funny that you say Leone because that's just one of his biggest influences. And I'm I'm very curious as to how true he's going to stay to the genre in that sense. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, I mean, the only Leone movie that that was even anything like that was Once Upon a Time in America, which was mm-hmm. a mafia movie. But yep. I think that was Chicago. Yep. Yeah, pretty sure it was Chicago. But yeah, it's it's. I've heard from a few th- in a few podcasts people talking about how it's pretty fucking pretty much the shit that it might be his magnum opus. I think, if I remember correctly. Kevin Smith's daughter has a small part in it. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. He had her as a guest on his podcast once. Mm. So I think, yeah, interesting to have your own daughter as a guest. It's been a long time since I've been this excited about a movie product, so I'm very curious as to how uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to play out. I, I, I'm itching to see that movie. I can't think of the last movie that I couldn't... You know, the only movie I can think of that I've been like, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing that is Endgame. But mm. that's just because I'm probably not going to be able to see it until November. What's happening? Oh, the streaming service? Yeah, because they're not going to stream it until that Disney service goes live. That's right. And I'm not going to pay $20 for a movie that I haven't... I like the Marvel movies, but I don't feel the need to own any of them. Mm. Because I don't think that I'm going to watch them again. That's hilarious. I own I own almost all of them. <laughs> I like them. And if they came on TV or they were on streaming, I'd probably watch them again. But I don't ever feel the urge like, you know what? I really need to see Iron Man again. Nope. Mm. Don't care. Like, I liked it. I love them. I get excited for them. But for they're not the kind of movies that I want to rewatch. If I'm going to rewatch something, I'm probably going to rewatch a foreign film. Something where I'm like, I probably missed half this. Sure. Or a comedy. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a comedy that, that fits that genre. It's funny, when you said that, I, my mind immediately jumped to comedy. But I can't think of a comedy that I've rewatched a billion times. Spaceballs. I haven't watched that movie a million times. I mean, I've watched it plenty of times, don't get me wrong. But I haven't watched it recently. You know, like like I I need I to watch. You said you had, I because uh, that's why we talked about it in an episode. I thought you said you just rewatched it. Did I? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. I am now forgetting. I mean, I'm still concussed. For anybody out there um, who doesn't know, um, you might be right, but I can't I can't recall when I would have done that. This is a time when you should be grateful that we don't have a very vocal audience. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I, get screamed at. Oh, you know that um, the accident, accident, accidental, accidental tech podcast. Those guys get like their fans are particularly vocal, mm-hmm. and I think they have a like a live forum during the show because they do sure. like, a live version of the show. <laughs> I couldn't deal with that. Oh, I did rewatch Spaceball. Sorry, carry on. I couldn't deal with that. Where you know, like where there's people out there waiting to grab every inconsistency. You're like sure. We're recording conversations. <laughs> Sometimes we're going to be inconsistent. Yeah, I can't imagine that would be... I, I would probably stop doing the podcast if I had to deal with that on every episode. That'd be madness. Yeah, because, you know, it, I think what people fail to understand about recording conversations is something that's inherent in a normal conversation. 
is sometimes you say things, but you say it in a different way. You know, like for example, last week you said you were going to start rereading Wind Up Bird. Mm-hmm. But we had had a conversation the week, no, two weeks before that about what it was like for you to read it when you were concussed. Huh. But, you know, it's not, it's not, so somebody be like, that's inconsistent. Be like, no, it's just the way he worded it that made you think something, that he meant something differently. That's the way we word things. Sometimes like, oh, yeah, I'm going to start rereading it, which means you probably put it down for a couple of weeks and you're going to dive back in. Yep. But people take everything 100% like, but I thought you said that you were reading it again. It's like, yes, that is, both of those statements can be true and are true in this context. Or like, for example, like when I think last time you and I, yeah, it was the last episode you, you and I did. I'm pretty sure that I was when I was talking about, no, that was a really fucking jumpy sentence. Sorry, people. Sometimes I hear with the shit that comes out of my mouth, <laughs> right? Like that was like four parts of one sentence and never really get anywhere. The last time you and I did an episode, I mentioned that I was going to do Friday episodes. Mm-hmm. So that's people out there thinking like that's written in stone. Guess what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to. You know why I'm not <laughs> going to? Because I thought about it. I'm, you know, if I could do do interviews, yeah, those will come out on Fridays. When whenever I have somebody to talk to, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put it out on Fridays. I thought about it and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm already putting out two episodes a week on the free show. If I'm going to do extra effort for these longer shows, I'm going to put it on the Patreon. Sure. Like that's. St- this, you know, like that's, that's stupid. Kind of like, what it's built for, sure. Yeah, and like, like people are not getting gypped by only getting two episodes a week for free. That's more than most podcasts. Most podcasts only give you one episode. So, like, why would I even stack it on more when people don't necessarily want more? Sure. So I, I thought about it, but you know, like there could be something. Oh well, you you changed your mind. Yeah, guess yeah, what? yeah, yeah. You did. You're human. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know what's what's weird is because of this whole concussion thing too like I don't realize the one thing that's been most dramatically affected is my memory. Mm. And it's weird because normally I actually have a really good memory. So it's very strange to have this experience where I just completely forget things. Mhm. And and, but, and and that's like the Spaceball thing is a good example. Now I vaguely remember having rewatched Spaceballs in the recent past, but I don't even I just still don't remember the details. Yeah, see I think that's interesting that you're going through it right now and I'm studying that right now. Huh. Well, not concussions, but I am studying memory loss. Sure. I had very, I don't want to go into a lot of detail because I do with this in a, in a Patreon episode, but I uh, had a very, very interesting week this week as far as the novel goes. Very interesting week. Um, so I just finished reading. I just posted this like... Like an hour ago, on because on, uh, <laughs> uh, I almost forgot to to share this, but I just finished reading Deep Work by Cal Newport, so, mm-hmm. who is slowly becoming one of my favorite nonfiction authors. Uh, actually, started a third book of his already, but in the book, one of the things he talks about is this idea of something I've heard of before, but the way he approaches it is very different. Time blocks. Uh, he talks about like the importance of setting aside time. Like this is the time I do this. This is the time I do this. And I guess he had written some article online and like somebody came back at him and, and you know, we're talking about at replies. Don't at me. Well, he got added, added, mm-hmm. yeah. at, at. Sure. Um, and somebody saying like, Oh, this makes people care more about counting minutes than blah, blah, blah. And, this is where his, his theory of it gets very interesting. He says, no, that's the exact opposite of what I'm talking about. 
So what his concept is this. So you say, like, for example, I'll tell you how I did it. I want to write for two hours every day. Mm-hmm. And that's I want that to be the first thing that I do every day so that I have all of my mental energy before I've spent it on anything else, even listening to podcasts, nothing. Even I haven't even looked at my phone yet. Two hours. So I'm going to block, block out two hours. Why two hours? Because I don't, I don't think I can go a full two hours. But I think I can do like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to say an hour and a half because then you shortchange yourself. And then you, you, you mess up your schedule, right? So you overestimate. That's one thing he says. When people block time, they always underestimate. He sure. says, always underestimate because we suck at estimating time. Overestimate, you mean? Yes. Always overestimate. Because we suck at it, uh, estimating time. Sure. We think something's going to take us 20 minutes. It takes an hour and a half. Sure. So, and then what he says is, so set aside that time. He says, but, and what you want to do, what he, I haven't done this part yet, but he says, what you want to do is write out your schedule for the day. Okay, I'm doing this from this time to this time, this from this time to this time, this from this time to this time. Okay. And draw blocks around each of those. Now, say you go to write, and you get them an hour through. You get an hour, we'll say, like I said, an hour and a half through. You still have half hour left, but you're out of energy on the writing. Can't do the writing anymore. Well, think about something else to do that's not on your, your list for the rest of the day for that next 30 minutes. Things that are not important. Like, okay, well, I have 30 minutes. I guess I'll check my email now. Hmm. He says, or move on to the next task. He says, but you have to do two things to move on to that next task on that time block list. You either have to... You have to do both. Sorry, not either. First, you have to wait at least five minutes Mm -hmm. before you switch to the next task. And number two, you have to rewrite the schedule for the whole day. No. And the whole point of this is the two things. Number one, training your brain to not jump at novelty. So you're the whole point of the book, deep work, right? So you're training your brain going, this is the task that I'm doing. But I can't jump to that other stuff. Because when you jump, this is the thing that the digital media has taught us. This novelty of like, oh, I can jump here and I can do this. I can do this and I can do this. We never focus because sure. of that. Yeah. So you have to retrain your brain to focus. And that's why the five minutes is important too. You have to wait at least five minutes to make it clear that, okay, I am transitioning to this other thing purposefully instead of just kind of, you know, grazing. Sure. And, and the other section, uh, the other part is when you have to redo the schedule and you have to rethink all that stuff. He's, he's, it's part of that training, but in a different way. It's almost like a punishment, right? Like, oh, I have to move this here. I have to move this here. So you're like training your brain to go, I don't want to do that. So I just, I'll find a way to fill that time. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I haven't done the schedule thing, right? Because I just I haven't found the need for it yet. So the time block thing, he says, the reason the time block thing is important, he says, because if you could train your brain to focus on those times and then be willing, always be willing to extend, but never shorten, you know, Mm -hmm. try not to shorten, always be willing to extend. So if you are writing and you're on fire at two hours, keep going. Sure. Rewrite that schedule and give yourself a whole nother hour. Always favor the tasks that you're, you know, you're that you're on fire on. Never sure. stop that. But 
when you focus on those one things, he says, what happens is your brain, when it learns to block out those other things, and it can really focus on that, you end up getting more done. So like, for example, talk, he talks about uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen and Jason Fried, the owners of Basecamp. They did something not too long ago where they said, we're changing our work week to a four-hour or four-day work week instead of a five-day work week. And everybody was, you know, somebody, I think it was the, the Wall, Wall Street Journal or something, somebody, you know, ripped into them in an article saying, you know, f- four 10-hour days is, is just, it's too much. You know, you're asking people to be there for eight hours and then tack on another two just so that, you know, you can say it's only a four-day week. And he was like, uh, no, that, that's entirely not what I'm saying. I'm saying four eight-hour days. Yeah. Literally erase those other eight hours. Give people less time to work. And what they found out, it was an experiment. What they found out was because they only had... So it's eight times four. Is that 32. 32. Yeah, sorry. Not, not a quick multiplier. 32 hours instead of 40 hours. So what happened was people started being a little stingier with their time. Sure. Like, oh, you want to have this meeting? Does it have to be a meeting? Can we do it in email? You know, like, am I these? So they start asking each other questions, you know, like, am I willing to waste what could potentially be an hour and a half in a meeting when I could read an email in five minutes? Sure. And they ended up their product, productivity shot through the roof by removing eight hours from the week. Interesting. But it makes sense because most of our time is either jumping around doing stupid shit, you know, like, I'm going to do something on my phone. And we think we're, we're so awesome because we can go into this app and do this one thing. But in reality, we dip into like five other apps every time we open our fucking phone. Sure. And all of that shit adds up over time. That's why we have when we look at our, you know, like our screen time things, and it's like six hours on your phone today. You don't feel like you spent six hours because you just dipped a second into here, second into here. You open your Instagram, pulled down, refreshed, uh, read a comment. Guess what? That was two minutes. Every time you do that, you know, like that time eats up. But when you're able to get that novelty out and you're actually able to focus, you accomplish more because you're not wasting time. Sure. You know, like if you said, I, I, I do Instagram, but I only do it half hour every day. And it's exactly at 7.30 to 8 o'clock. And then I don't look at it any other time before 7.30 or after 8 o'clock. You probably get more done on you know like people who like to go through and comment on other pictures and stuff like that you probably get more done in a half hour than you would if you were dipping into it all day do you have you tried to employ that yet that's the way i've been doing email for years oh, okay i only check email once a day if it doesn't come to me before i open my email guess what I'm not going to see it till tomorrow got it tough titties you know or, what i mean or if it's important enough call me and, and that has happened maybe Twice in a year. Sure. Uh, because people don't like to call me either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I've, I've made it pretty clear that like... And that's one of the things I really liked about this book too. He talks about email and he's like, he's like, start using email properly. He's like, people send such lazy fucking emails where they don't get details or they don't ask proper questions. So you end up with these back and forth email these conversations. Crazy de- email chains, yeah. Or is, like he says, you know, like he's like, oh... Let me know on this. He says, no, that's not it. You say, like, for example, somebody sends you something, like he reads a, a lot of uh, 
colleagues' papers, um, you know, like thesis and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sending this to me. I plan on reading this before next Friday. On next Friday, I will send you a detailed analysis of what I think. And then if you have any questions, you can call me on the phone on this day at that at this time. Yeah. Done. Now the oh, and you said then you end it with, and unless there's a problem, don't feel that you need to reply to this. Hmm. So in other words, done. Instead of like, oh yeah, I'll take a look at it. And then the person goes, cool. When do you think you now you end up spending a fucking half hour in this conversation when you could have just laid it all out? Yeah. And so that's one of the things like I try to do with my communications, like get to the fucking meat of it. What time? What day? And like I have people that have wanted to come on the podcast. Like, cool. Here's the time that I have. Here's the I I don't I learned this lesson a long time ago. Instead of saying what day is good for you, because you're putting the burden on that person. Mm-hmm. Instead, I go, these are the days I can do it. And these are the times I'm available. Which one works for you? Sure. And then they say, oh, this day and this day are good. I pick which one then. If they're throwing back more than one, I pick one and I go, cool. I'm putting in the calendar this day at this time. Sure. Done. And people, people appreciate that because they don't want to do the back and forth either. Sure. And even the people who don't consciously know that they don't want it end up not wanting it. Uh, right. That's a complicated sentence, but you know what I'm getting at. Well, yeah. Can you imagine like if we had a text message conversation like, you know, Lamb, I think maybe I might want to go to the movies. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You might want to go to the movies. Yeah. You think you'd like to go? Yeah. Maybe I'd like to go. What movies do you like that are out there? Well, I like this movie and this movie. Oh, really? I like this one and this one. Well, we share this one and this one in common. What do you think about this? Uh, I think maybe... And it keeps going forever. How about... Uh, you get a e- uh, text message that says, End game. Saturday, 12.30. Can you make it? Which is now describing how I actually generally communicate with people. <laughs> and I think, I think that's, that's the function of like me just being busier. Like I just don't have time for the chit-chat and the back and forth. Well, not chit-chat. That's the wrong way to put it. But... I just get to the point, please, for the love of God, get to the point. There's, right. With uh, like, I'm starting to really just dislike text message in general, just because there's. I like the directness of those things. That's the part I do like about it. Sure. The part that I don't like about it is how flippant people have become, in the sense that like um, somebody can call and uh, call, sorry, text and ask you a question, and then you answer the question, and then that's the end of the conversation. Like they never explained to you like, oh, this is why I was asking that. And you know what I've trained myself to do? Mm. Stop fucking caring. <laughs> well, that'll do it. Sure. I just don't, it's like, you know, somebody says like, hey, have you ever seen this movie? Like, yeah, I saw it, I think uh, six months ago. And then they never reply to that. I'm like, well, I guess that's all they needed to know. And I move <laughs> on, you know, but sometimes we'll like bait the person back. We're like, why? Like, you know what? I, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And if you didn't care enough to give me a response, then there's no reason for me to fish. Yeah. It's obviously not going to be a good conversation. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> well, fishing is just, it's a waste of time. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, so, I'm so kind of just over having conversations via text anyway. So I kind of feel the same way about it. You know, it just, it just seems not very informative or productive. And so from that perspective, especially with how busy I am these days, like it just it just does not feel like a good use of my time to sit there and respond to a hundred text messages. Most of which I'll probably forget about within an hour, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at our, <laughs> if you look at our email conversation, yeah, uh, lame. K home. K ready when you are. Cool. <laughs> uh, shall we move recording tomorrow? Would be yes, wise. Would be wise. What time today? Pretty much any time. What time are you thinking? Five thirty or so. I'm in Palo Alto. Depends on traffic. K works for me. Almost home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready whenever. Jumping on. It's like it's like walkie-talkie. Right? I feel like we're sending telegrams. <laughs> it feels like it, but that's the way that's the way text message should be used. Sure, precise, concise, and decisive. Not these long. Oh man, just meandering messages that go nowhere. You know, I have there. There are a few people that I accept really long messages from because it's just the, that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a, some, and because it's who they are, there's an art to the longer ones, and they just have so much information to say, so they just pump it out in this. But what I appreciate about that is they take the time to at least put it in one bubble. Sure. I hate when people break it up into like fifteen bubbles. I'm oh, like, yeah, oh, that's obnoxious. Put the phone down. No, not yet. Not done yet. Duh, oh, duh. when duh. can I put the phone down? <laughs> when when am I when am I supposed to jump in here? Although I will say I appreciate people who separate separate ideas into separate bubbles, so I can yeah. answer individual questions. You know what I tried to do too. This is so funny. This actually does fit in the show because what we're talking about is trying to do things better. I I break them into paragraphs. I'll use the same bubble, but I break them into different paragraphs. Oh yeah, sure. Using proper grammar in a text message. What's wrong with you? Just, you know, like, okay, that subject is in that paragraph. Space. Yeah. <laughs> other other topic. <laughs> I do hate when it goes back and forth, like, when you're threading, like, three different conversations. Like, can we yeah, just talk about too much. Yeah. Go to the other one later. Uh, what movie are you watching? Oh, uh, also, I'm eating this right now. By the way, did you know... Don't care. Oh, my God. I'm gone. Yeah, I mean, my, uh, and maybe, maybe, you know, in a weird kind of way, like this concussion has been such a godsend uh, in that my cognitive abilities and my cognitive speed are not what they're, they normally are. So I have to be conservative about my time. You know, I have to be, I have to limit the amount of energy I spend on individual tasks. And so because of that, I've been very selective about how I respond to things and, and when I respond to things. I even ask people for very specific things in my communications with them. And it's been really, really helpful. And I may just I may just keep doing that. Yeah, directness is always easier. Sure. Um, you know what I realized is I started to talk about the week and then we went on a tangent. I never finished what I meant. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that happens often. Um, so anyways, time blocks. That's what I was explaining. So time blocks. So what I did is I set aside two hours every day to do writing. And was Tuesday was the first day. And I sat down and I was like, fuck. Because, you know, like having to rewrite the whole thing is, we talked about this before and I talked about this in multiple episodes on my Patreon, is like, fuck, this is so daunting. Like morally, um, morale, not morally. It's daunting to your morale. Like it's like being, kicking yourself over and over again. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. So I sat here and like I, was, I, I probably looked at the computer for like maybe two minutes. I was like, nope, don't want to do this in front of the computer. So then I pulled out the index cards and I started doing some stuff with the index card, figured out like one thing. I'm like, oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's cool. But I still like wasn't into it. I was not into it. I was kind mm. of, you know, like sometimes you do a task, especially like a creative task, and you're outside of it, jabbing at it. 
Mm. You know, like you're poking it. It's like you're poking at it from from a distance. Sure. You don't. You're not in flow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I definitely was not in flow. So then I went over to the chair and I, I'm like, maybe if I do it in a notebook, it'll like pull me in more. And I wrote like one sentence in the notebook, and I'm like, nope, this isn't doing it either. And then I did something I've never done before. I said, you know what I'm going to fucking do is I'm going to use the voice memos on my phone and I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to talk it out. I'm going to talk this out and just talk myself to some place. I don't know where I was going. I don't know what I was doing. All I knew is I had this big idea for the book, big in the sense that it requires a whole rewrite to get this one thing in there. But I didn't really understand yet what that was going to mean for the whole book. Sure. I'm sure everybody can hear. Latte just woke up and he's scratching. Um, so I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna just record it that way. I can not have to worry about um, forgetting anything, and I can just talk this out and just figure this out. And first of all, that's really really hard. It's really hard for me at least because when you're actually thinking stuff out, there are long silences. Sure. And there's always a part of my brain that goes, there's a recorder going, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know why no one's going to fucking hear this, but there's part of me that's worried about these long silences, huh. which, which made me wonder, small tangent, why the voice memo app on the phone, which is supposedly technologically more advanced than the little mini tape recorders we had when we were younger for recording classes, why it doesn't have the feature to strip silence. Oh, Sure. Because you know, those little tape recorders, if you put it in a room and nobody was talking, it wouldn't record until it heard sound. Yeah, it'd be voice activated, yeah. Yeah. Why doesn't the fucking iPhone have that? That should be built right in. But anyways, so I end up sitting there and I'm talking this out for an hour. <laughs> I went an hour just like I kept going and like I got on fire. Like I got into flow near the end and I had... I mean, I put up a picture on Instagram, 89 new plot points from that hour. Jeez. 89 new plot points that completely change things and not some... I don't know how to describe it. It's like like that the idea of poking at it from the outside. Mm-hmm. I always felt like that about my main character. I understood my main character, but I always felt like I was manipulating him from outside of him. Mm. I never felt like I got into him or into the other characters for that matter. Like I felt more like a marionette with that book. And then when I got to the end of that, I had such an understanding that I was like, oh my God, I know this book now. Yeah. I know this book now. And like most of the stuff I'm going to rewrite, I'm going to have to write scenes that don't exist. I'm going to have to throw away probably half the scenes that I have, but it's going to be the book that I always wanted it to be. Sure. Well, because now you actually know what you want it to be. Exactly. Well, and it has that, it has a heart to it. You know, like we talked about the story thing before, right? Yeah. Like, what's the story? You know, like Game of Thrones. Who will sit on the Iron Throne? That embodies the whole show. Sure. Right? That's it. If you don't have that, which I didn't, of course you feel like you're outside of it poking because you don't know what the fuck you're playing with. So I got to the end of that and and then I I did something else after that. Uh, I don't remember. I ended up spending the whole two hours um, and feeling really productive. So then I went and I did like my normal like work stuff for clients, some other stuff. Went on an hour and a half walk with the dog. I boxed in the morning. I boxed in the evening. I got to the end of the day and I was like, this is probably one of the best days I've had in years. Hmm. 
just because I actually, in every way that day, fulfilled all of the roles that I had set for myself. Yeah, I recorded part of a, uh, I recorded a solo podcast that night too, and a Patreon episode that night. So every role that I had set for myself in my life, I fulfilled in that one day. Interesting. Not to completion, but you know, like I was doing it. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. a writer. Sure. I wrote. You know, I'm a podcaster. I podcasted. I want to be healthy and exercise. I did it three times that day. You know, like everything. How's the boxing coming along, by the way? I, you know, I, I've I've taken on a new, a new theory on that, in the sense that I don't go for long periods. I go for five minutes at a shot. Mm-hmm. So any time that I'm ready, I just go outside barefoot, whatever. Do it for five minutes, come back in. Hmm. Because I'm trying to train my brain to be like, this is something you can do whenever they feel, whenever you feel like it. And train it into something just like watching TV. We're like, oh, let's do that now. Instead of making it like this, you know, like big grand thing that you have to do. The bigger you make exercise, the more daunting the exercise is, the easier it is to avoid it. Sure. You know, like I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do fucking... Uh, CrossFit for two hours. Well, on the day you're lazy, it's really hard to convince yourself to go do CrossFit for two hours. Sure. But if it's five minutes hitting a bag, doesn't matter what day it is. I was sick one day and I fucking went out and did it. Hmm. It's weird. We have such opposite feelings about that. I feel like because I turn tasks into grandiose things, like exercise in particular, I feel like I'm more likely to do them. I feel like when you make something bigger than it is, personally... It, it makes it really easy to avoid it. Makes it easy to make excuses mm. when it's when it's when it's nothing. When it's just like brushing your teeth, then I mean nobody goes. Oh, you know what I forgot to do today? I forgot to brush my teeth. Or you know what? I was too lazy to brush my teeth today. Or I didn't feel like wiping my ass. I guess it kind of depends on like the way that I make it work for me is that I turn it into a task with an end goal. I think um, like for example with golf, I'll tell myself, okay. I want to hit 10 chips within three feet of the hole from 50 yards. Mm-hmm. And so I will not be done with that task until I achieve that. Yeah, that's gamification. Oh, yeah, um, true. Re- referring back to Jay McGonagall and Super Better. Um, but, you know, like that's the same thing with the boxing, right? Five minutes. That's a gamification, too. It's, it's, it's a time based gamification. You know, like to get to the next level, you have to do five minutes of this. Sure. And it's the same thing. I won't stop five minutes early. I wait until my watch says at least five minutes on it. Oh, I see. I will never stop before. And I have a ritual too. And it's like, because anybody that hasn't put on boxing gloves, it's really easy to put on the first one. The second one is not so easy to put on. So, and that's because you don't have fingers. They're inside a glove now. A boxing glove. You don't have fingers, Chad? Not in a boxing glove. Damn. I got mitts. Yeah, so what I'll do is I put the first hand in, but I don't I don't strap it, and then I'll reach over and I start the timer, and then I strap it and put on the other glove so that I'm really only putting in 10, 15 seconds of non-exercise time on that clock. Gotcha. And then, but that's it's not important, but it's gamification, right? Can I do this? How quick can I do this? So there's like all these little steps, and it's like, okay, make sure you get 50 with the right hand. 50 with the left hand, now start freeform. Boom, 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 boom. And then the little games that you play when you're doing it. Like, uh, oh, you know what? I've been doing 
two with the left hand, you know, you start messing with your combos. Like I've been doing two with the right hand and then one with the left. Well, if I was fighting a person, they'd figure that out. So let's do two with the left and one with the right for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's do one, two, three, one. Let's do one, 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 one. Uh, so you, those little games you play too. Absolutely, games are so important. And I feel like that's the only way that I'll ever consistently exercise is if I gamify it. If I don't, then it's virtually impossible for me to consistently do it. It's probably the reason why <clears throat> I'm much more willing to play in a hockey game than I am to work out for five minutes. I would argue that there isn't a person out there that can't exercise without gamification. Mm. Um, I I know people who I know people who can, but it's just a sheer will thing. Like it's a stubbornness, and not. I really guarantee a, you, they're playing games in their head when they're doing it. Though anybody eh, that maybe. times what they're doing is playing a game. Yeah, maybe. You're Especially right. runners. And it's like, oh, dude, I did a you know a six minute mile. They're gaming it. Yeah, that's gaming it. Sure, that makes sense. What are they gaming it against? This is a game of the last time. Like, oh, last time I did it six six twenty. This time I did six. That's gaming it. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. They're playing Excite Bike instead of t- instead of Punch Out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, you remember in Excite Bike, literally, like the first time you go through the level, or, you know, you win. If you play that level again, you have to beat the time that you did before. So it becomes this loop of always having to get shorter and shorter time. Sure, that's that's what a runner's doing. Oh man, I haven't thought about Excite Bike and. It's got to be decades by now. That's crazy. Well, it's because of that Switch. When I bought the Nintendo Switch, mm-hmm. you pay the like I think it's like twenty, thirty dollars a year for the Nintendo service, and you get all these. Well, not all, but like forty classic games, just available for free. And Excite Bike, because one of one Excite Bike and Punch Out were some of them. So I went and played those, and I was <laughs> realized that I fucking suck at them now. <laughs> I remember kind of the tricks with Excite Bike, you know, like, oh, lean forward when you go over the jump and then pull back here and all the little tricks, but, or like punch out, you know, fighting guys are like, oh yeah, how do I beat this guy again? Oh yeah. All the strategies that you employ from boxer to boxer. Sure. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Don Flamenco pulls his arm back, smack him in the face. Okay. Boxing, back to boxing again. And we're, we're fully back. We've hit boxing three times in three different ways in this. We've episode. we've hit boxing three times. That's funny. Sorry, we've I just boxed like, ourselves in. I've really, I'm really like neck deep in puns in my life right now. So it feels I, right I to just stacked one on top of yours. Yeah, we're we're oh we're stacking boxes. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to dad jokes. I, I, f- I almost considered changing the description of the show from bad jokes. To dad jokes. I think you should, because that is already a dad joke in and nobody would even notice. <laughs> oh man, man, I feel like I'm on such a, a the cusp of a huge change in my life. It's really weird. Mm, how so? Um, I've been, uh, you know, You're like I'm going to become a woman. Yeah, the last week of my life, I've been on this rabid job hunt. Uh, like I just want to do something different, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I realized that. In the process of looking for a new job, I'm also having to change my habits in order to look for the new job. And I I didn't realize how entrenched I was in so many things until I actively tried to change them. And it's really, really weird to objectively look at your life and see what choices you've made in order to make things work in your current situation. And I feel like I I just have to wrecking ball the whole thing. That's why I think um, one of the most valuable things of the getting things done, you know, David Allen's getting things done 
uh, methodology, I almost said ideology, methodology, one of the most valuable things about it is not actually the task list and all of that shit. It's the idea of the reviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I think it's really important to audit yourself every once in a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it, like you said, it becomes really easy to just do things because you always have. And and to extend it even further, even the things you think you're doing well, you can always reevaluate the tasks themselves too. It's not just, you know, like for me, a good example of that for me is how I approach music. Um, I, I realized that the way I approach music is not correct for me either. Um, so I've been doing this 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 thing re- recently where I find that I'm more inspired to do music when I hear good music. So what I will do is I will f- I will take a song that I currently like or I'm listening to, and then I will figure out how to play it. And then from there, I'll start writing my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a very specific set of set of you know um, it's a, it's a, it's a very specific sequence. But I find that it makes me so much more musically productive. It's really weird. Well, I think there's certain certain you know, the term that I use all the time, and I'm sure people are sick of fucking hearing me say, is wrap your head around. Sure. But I think there are certain things, um, like, you know, on maps, you remember, like, there's a, when, remember the world of physical maps? Mm-hmm. You're looking at a map, you need a key. So anybody that has is too young to know what that means, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not, not only are you missing out on something really fucking cool, um, that was done for centuries. But so you have a map and there's symbols on a map. Well, there's a little box on the bottom that tells you what those symbols mean. You know, like if it's a dotted line, that means it's a dirt road. If it's a solid yellow line, that means it's a highway. Those are keys. So there are certain ideas that serve as keys in our lives. And mm-hmm. everybody has a different map. You know, everybody has different keys. But you have these activities that you do and they're just activities you do. And you try to do your best at them. But until you figure out the fucking key, until you figure out the secret, it doesn't ever click. You never wrap your head around it. Sure, because you have to redo the key every time you do something. Yeah, but yeah, you're just you're you're making it up as a it's like a, going back to the writing thing. You're you're jabbing at it from the outside. Yeah, sure. But the moment you figure out that key, you're fucking inside of it. It's you know, like the difference between watching a movie and virtual reality. Like, oh, this is the story of uh, the Avengers. Well, virtual reality, you're like, holy shit, I'm Hawkeye. That's oh, yeah, a completely sure. different perspective. And that, that finding the key for those things, it, it does that. It emerges. It yeah, my days. I'm having trouble with words today. It, it makes it an immersive experience. Sure. And that's, I mean, maybe that's your key. For music, and they change, of course. That's why auditing, going back to auditing, being important. The key sometimes works forever, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Or like with writing, you might find the key. I like uh, this talking in the microphone thing and recording it. That might be the key for this book. But when I go to write the next book, it might have to be something completely different. It probably will be something different. Exactly. Like I feel like the the way I'm writing music now is very specific to how I feel about music. You know, I'm I'm in a very appreciative mode in my life in general. So it would stand to reason that one of the things I would I would come to appreciate um without a whole lot of effort is something that I love like music. You know, so in the the act of appreciation, I find in it the act of creation being a heck of a lot easier or being more genuine for for lack of a better word. And I think with music that definitely is a trap that I might fall into without knowing it is that I produce things that 
are not necessarily good, but they sound cool in the moment. And and there's there's a big difference to me um, the the longevity of something like how how sticky an idea is in the long run, and I feel like without having some semblance of of that key, I force myself into the habit of trying to produce something that feels disingenuous. And again, we we talk about just the, the lack of sincerity in in all things um, pretty often here on the show. So it stands to reason that I would have a a strong desire to to work against that as an idea for myself as an artist. Well, it's, it's like uh, the episodes of this show. Sometimes we go too serious. Sometimes we go too light. But the best episodes of this show are when we talk about... Like right now, I, like this converse, conversation is an example to me of the best of this show. Sure. It's a serious conversation, but it's in a lighthearted way. And we're, we're joking around in the middle of it. Sure. And that's when we're at our best. Because this is some big shit we're talking about here too. It's huge. Absolutely. It's, I mean, this is this is life changing to me in many ways, you know. I think that that's one of like the one, the one like the wrap your head around stuff for this show. The one that I had to wrap my head around, which it took a while, was this goes in phases. Sure, like like our interests do. You know, like we might be talking about art for six months, but then like we might move and both move into a phase where, where we we did where we weren't so much interested in art. Sure, and we we're into politics for like a month and a half. Yeah. And and being okay with that, and that that's the difficult thing about the keys, right? Sometimes you don't feel like you're doing the quote unquote right thing mm-hmm. because you, you're looking at somebody else's key, right? Sure, sure. Like writing or music are both perfect examples of that. This is the way you write a song. No, that's the way you write a song, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, but but I feel like there's there's. And I just just so I can be as real about this as I can be, um, I feel like there are points where I, I definitely borrowed your process in lieu of mine as well. You know what I mean? Um, just because I didn't know what mine was yet. So I used the, the thing that was immediately available to me, which considering how often we talk, would be the way your brain works in order to define my working environment. And, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Like, you know, GTD and, and the principles that guide GTD are definitely a good example of that. You can take and steal certain things in order to become better at it for yourself. But that, that, that self-evaluation thing, that, that scorecard that we're talking about here for our own lives is definitely really critical. You know, the ability to re-examine it and to really ask the question, like, is this the way I really want to do something? And is this the best way I can do something? Yeah, that's a question that's harder to answer than people realize. Right. Well, I mean, and there's, like you said, there's nothing wrong with borrowing or stealing things from other people because uh, guess what? That's the only way you learn. Sure. But, but when you, when you really learn something, when it really becomes yours, is not when you learn how to do it exactly the way the other person's doing it, mm-hmm. is when you incorporate it. Yeah. When definitely. it becomes part of you, you go, oh, this part of it, that works for me. This part totally doesn't. Yep. And you, you do what you do. You know that when it comes to especially when it comes to creating, there is no objective right way to do it. Sure. There is there's no one way to write a book. There's no one way to write a song. There's no one way to paint a painting or to sure. even use a paintbrush. Sure. Um, but you learn that, you know, like when you going with painting, maybe you go on YouTube, you go, Oh, okay, so that's how you do that, and that's how you do that. Well, then you do those things for a while and you copy those people's style. Until you don't think about what you're doing anymore. And then it becomes you. Because the skills stay, but your specific way of doing things just happens. In like, like 
handwriting. We, most of us, our generation, Lamb, we all learn the same exact handwriting. Sure. We all learned from the same fucking, it was the exact, there's, so I can't remember what it's called, but there's one specific handwriting style that we were all taught. Nobody has the same handwriting. Yeah. Piano. Everybody's taught to play piano in a similar way. Nobody plays the piano the same way. Definitely not. I know Everybody, I don't. Yeah. Guitar. You all get the same scales. You know, but that's, you know, like the, the, the lesson of Picasso. It's like, learn the lessons, learn the rules so that then you can break them. Sure. Because you want the, you want the abilities. You know, like when I, back when I had a conversation with Devon Amos, he always talked about in that episode, fundamentals, fundamentals. You got to learn the fundamentals before you can even do your own shit. Sure. And sometimes stealing things from other people means I don't have a fundamental here. That seems to work for you. Maybe that's what I need. Mm-hmm. An injection, I guess. I, hmm. I do it for sure. Everything yeah. I talk about on here is stolen from somebody. Yeah, and I mean, even from that perspective, like even talking about art as we understand it, there's so much that I, I, I want it, to... It's, it's weird because I don't even care that much about art right now. I care about the technique of art. And I know that sounds odd, but it's, it's, I'm more concerned with how I do it than what I'm doing. And I feel like that's a very particular phase. Um, like when you realize, for example, that you've left certain gaps in your technical ability and you're just trying to find ways to fill those gaps so that you don't have to have to, you don't ever have to worry about shortcomings in your technique anymore, limiting your ability to create something. You know, like I, I think, I think about, um, how I don't know how to play drums and how, not even knowing how to play drums, but at least having a rudimentary understanding of, of what it takes to play drums and to establish and control rhythm is really, really critical for me writing music. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's why people look at people like Dave Grohl and they go, wow, wow, you recorded that whole album and played all the instruments yourself? That's a very different style of understanding. Sure. But that's also why we rely on, like with music, we rely on collaboration. Or sure. like, uh, with with my book, um, there's stuff in here that probably requires me to have knowledge of neurology. I'm not going to learn neurology to write this book. So guess what? Suspension of disbelief. You're just going to have to accept that what this doctor says is real in this world. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not going to go to medical school to write a novel. <laughs> sure. And I, I learned that from Shakespeare. A lot of the shit that Shakespeare wrote wasn't, you know, like... Uh, what is it? Is it? Is it Merchant of Venice? No, it's um. What's the one with um, where they're stuck on the island? I don't know actually. With but Caliban and sure Ariel. What the hell you're talking about? Caliban, Ariel, Prospero. Um, Tempest. The Tempest. Oh, the Tempest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's actually not the Tempest. Shit, I pulled up the wrong one. No, I think I think head. you're no. I, I think you're right, dude. No, I, no, no. I'm sorry. That that what I was describing is the tempest, but what I was trying to remember um, is not from okay. the tempest. In one in one of the plays that I'm totally blanking on right now, he he says th- this person is kidnapped and taken. Uh, th- there's kidnapped from one city and then taken to the shore that night. But in reality, those two places are more than a, a night's ride away. So there's no way that the person could have been kidnapped there and taken to the ocean in the time that Shakespeare said. Mm. But he didn't sit with the fucking map and go, okay, it's so many miles. 
and that would take this long on horseback. And, you know, he didn't calculate it. He just said, I want them there that night. Tough shit. That's when it happens. Sure. And sometimes you just have to make those choices. You know, you want to do everything from most informed technical aspect that you can. You know, like you want to be able to play every note that you hear in your head. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're like, mm, that, I can't play that part. Yeah. So let me simplify it. Oh, it happens all the time. I hear, I hear pen, plenty of piano parts in my head that I can't play. <laughs> 80% of what I hear on the guitar, I can't play. <laughs> but you know, to be real with you though, like my, my quest to become better technically has led to me being able to fill in those gaps though. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and every, day, every day I sit down at the piano, I feel a little more confident in being able to create without fumbling my way through it. Like, I mean, I look at some of the, the piano players that, that, you know, the obvious ones like Thelonious Monk or Duke Ellington, but I watch guys, even pop music like Matt Bellamy um, from Muse playing piano. And I see how effortless it is. And it's effortless because there's te- there's literally no effort. It's almost like speaking to them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think of, of the versions of that that exist in my life that those people would marvel about. Like, you know, my, my ability to, to maneuver a golf club, for example, is probably far beyond their capabilities. I don't know if he's a good golfer or not, but I assume that I'm a better golfer than someone who dedicates 12 hours a day of their life to music. Um, in the same way that they're better at me than they're they're better than me at guitar, so you know, in almost all things, um, especially when we're talking about this kind of technical stuff, it's just literally all about the time that you spend and how much you care. Well, and and having holes in your technique should never stop you from creating something. Oh, I totally agree, and that did stop me for a long time. It, that's a very recent realization in my life, actually. It's one everybody has like this idea that like I have to be the I have to be. It's not the best. I, I have to be complete to do this. Sure. In this, you know, like I, if, if it was a class, I have to have graduated to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Like, uh, pretty sure that 90% of the guitar players that Kurt Cobain looked up to could outplay the fucking shit out of him. Sure. It didn't stop him from making three albums that were enormous. And become a musical icon that would define a genre of music for generations sure exactly but i guarantee you he couldn't play any of the queen songs that he loved sure because brian may is a very technical player kurt mm-hmm. cobain not so much nope but he didn't it, it didn't have that stop him and that's one thing that's really important and i know for writers it manifests itself even more viciously than it does for musicians because i think innately musicians understand that like i'm not going to be I'm not going to be of the caliber of Chopin mm-hmm. before I start writing music. Sure. Um, but authors, they, the way that the authors fall into this pit is they feel that they have, like they'll start to write something like, oh, I don't know enough about this to do this right now. And so then they end up in this research pit that just kills all the momentum of the creative process. Yeah, I've seen you fall into research pits. Absolutely. And that's why I understand it so well. And the only way to, f- to fight that is, go, okay, so you want to say you really do want to research it. Fine. But you have to understand that that's different time than writing time. Sure. That no matter what, if you're going to go down a research pit, you still have to write those fucking two, you know, whatever, uh, 500 words a day. Completely separately. Hmm. That research time is a different time. And that's a different task. Just like editing is a different task than writing, you can't fill them in the same place. 
Do you find yourself getting stuck though in moments where you wish you had more technical knowledge about a specific thing and that stops you from being able to write it to the level of intricacy that you want? Uh, yes and no. I do find it, it's never a problem. I, uh, sometimes it's, a, it's an awesome feeling because it's freeing where you go, I don't know much about this, so whatever. And then you just push your way through it and then realize that if you have to go in and fix something later, you can go and fix it with the information later. But what I'll do a lot of times is I'll write something, as long as it's not like a huge plot point, I'll write it and then I'll stick a post-it on it with a question like, did this exist in 1985? Mm. And then move on. As long as it's not a huge plot point. If it's a huge plot point and I don't have the research for it, then I move on to a different part of the book. I see. Like, mm, guess I have to finish this scene later, move on to the next scene. And that's why it's important to plot before you write. Because if you have the plot, then you can jump from scene to scene. If you're writing in chronological order, trying to figure out the book as you're going forward, you can't do that. Because you don't know what's seven scenes later. Sure, and you get stuck. That makes sense. Yep. And that's why, you know, like Stephen King can do it. You know why Stephen King can do it? It's because he's writing fucking horror, fantasy. Sure. He can just make it up as he goes. Yeah. He's writing about ghosts and and demons and stuff like that. There's no fucking reality to that. You know, even if there are really those things, (laughs) there's nobody out there that can tell you that they're, you know, which one is the real version. So he can make up whatever the hell he wants. Sure. You're not writing a technical manual. Yeah. You know, like, oh, this happened to Carrie. Okay. That sucks. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she has she has ESP. Or not ESP. Uh, telekinesis. <laughs> oh, I have ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> That's so dumb. I'm sorry, everybody, for that the lameness of that. Bad jokes, dad jokes. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, that, that, I think that that's a very important lesson for us all to learn is like, just keep moving forward in some way. Um, that's, I mean, it even goes back to like our last episode where we're talking about like a defeatist attitude. You know, like defeatist attitude is giving yourself an excuse to stop. As long as you're moving forward in something, then you're not being defeated. Mm-hmm. As long as you're moving towards something, you know, like, oh, I might not be able to do this five times a week. Okay, do it once. Because at least you're moving forward. You know, like when you stand still, that's when you die. Mm-hmm. You know, hot lava. What was it? The tan bark is hot lava. Tan bark is hot lava. Yeah. So. I miss playing games like that, actually. I, I, I've, I, I miss tan bark, actually, um, and all the crappiness and splinters that came along with it. Like the playgrounds that I've gone to in, in modern times have been so much safer. And don't get me wrong. I, I don't, I'm not shunning safety. That's just stupid. But. There's an element of, of danger <laughs> that I want in my playgrounds, I guess. And this might be because I don't have kids. Um, but I, 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 feel, I feel like sometimes you got to fall a little bit. You do. You have to. I mean, remember in the Connelling of American Mind, they talk about that. Like there's some, I think it was in England, they have like some park where they let kids play with hammers and nails and saws. They just have to sign a waiver before they go in. Because there's something inherent to like learning that. Like, how do I learn how to hammer a nail? By smacking my thumb. Yeah, you do that once or twice and you'll never ever hammer your, your nail up like that ever again. Sure, once in a while, every, every once in a while, a kid cracks himself in the head with a hammer. <laughs> That's life. 
every once in a while, you step <laughs> off the sidewalk and a bus hits you. Oh man, yeah, that's a. I, I feel like that's a lesson you can only learn once, though. There's a great story. I don't know if this is true. <laughs> Somebody told me this when I was younger uh, that there was this person who was terrified of flying, and I think they were agoraphobic. Like they were, they they were terrified of flying was like their number one fear. Airplanes just terrified them. But then I think they became agoraphobic because they just stayed in the house. And then one day a plane crashed into their house and killed them. Uh, it's gotta, I don't know if that's real. It's got to be a wives' tale or something. It's a great fairy tale, though, because that's life. You can live your life, you know, afraid of all this shit. And guess what? Eventually it'll come, you know, the snake will crawl in your bed and bite your ass without you having to go to the jungle. It's funny. When I was younger, I was afraid of heights. And now, and I don't know what experiences led me to, to, I feel like that overcoming the fear of heights defined a lot of who I am as a person, actually. Um, and now I love heights. I mean, there's a picture that I'll post on the Instagram of me hanging over the edge of a 14-story building and loving it. Mm, I'm writing that down for an action item. Instagram. Yeah, that was that's a fun one. Um, and one of one of our friend, our mutual friends, Celeste, kind of had that same experience recently, where she had a fear of heights that's been kind of really following her around pretty much her entire life. So she went and did a ropes course with her sister-in-law, and uh, had the ability to go on this zip line that was really high up in the air, and um, she decided that she was going to overcome her fear and do it, and she did it. See, I have the reverse experience. I never used to be afraid of heights. I jumped off a barn when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Just jumped off a barn, twisted my ankle. Um, somehow I didn't break something, which is a, mir- a miracle. But then as I got older, you know what? It, it, I didn't necessarily start getting afraid of heights. I started getting vertigo. Oh, weird. Yeah, I, I noticed it one time I was at a hospital um, visiting someone that was just got out of surgery. And I was up on like the fourth floor, but it was like one of those... Um, open where the there's you know a hole that you can look all the way down mm-hmm. to all four floors, and I looked down and I was like, "Whoa, things are moving, and I'm not." Huh? And then I had to like, uh, <laughs> not to go on too much of a tangent, but I had to. I I was there was a period of time where I was doing odd jobs, and one of the things I had a friend, and we did this job where we had to go to this this building and hang signs, and these were like. 40, 40 foot by 20 foot signs, mm-hmm. just huge signs that we had to bolt to the wall. And so we did the first side of the building where we're standing on a roof and, you know, just put it right there. But then we had to go to the back side of the building. And the back side of the building was three stories high, not huge, but three stories high, um, maybe four. And the person I was with had to go on the ladder on the other side and do the drilling, but I had to hold the sign. But I had to hold this 40 foot 20 sign over the edge of a building while I'm standing there. And there's Holy no railing. Crap. Nice. No railing. So I'm sitting there and I'm putting this sign down and I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm my head is like spinning. And I'm slowly lowering the sign, which I can barely hold because it's super heavy. Jeez. And he's like, oh, I got one in. And then you get the second one in and I'm like, and I jump back. But one of those times in your life where like, hmm, in a parallel universe, I probably died there. Huh. But yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what causes vertigo, if it's if it's psychosomatic or if it is a physical thing. It's probably a combination of both. Like I know there's an, there's definitely inner ear things that create that too as well. Like, you know, you're, you're, that vertigo is, is being, there's a catalyst for it um, that's probably happening physically for you. And then your body is now interpreting it differently because you were injured doing it once. Yeah, it, it, what it ends up doing is it does make you afraid of heights because 
when you when you have vertigo, you stand somewhere and you look down, you feel like at any moment you could not be standing anymore. Yeah, sure. I don't know if that makes sense. Like when you if you're not afraid of heights, it's because you go, Oh, I'm high up, but all I'm doing is standing here. Mm-hmm. I've never accidentally fell while I was just standing. Yep. You know, like that just doesn't happen. So as long as I just keep standing like a normal person, I'm not gonna fall. Sure. But when you have vertigo and you're like, hmm, things are moving, I could just fall while standing here. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, 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 sure. I could suddenly lunge forward accidentally, you know, like because of like my balance. And so then you go, oh, I don't want to go up there. But at the same time, planes don't bother me. Hmm. Well, because I'm not in control in the plane, right? So like the vertigo doesn't really come into, into play. Yeah, so it has to be a moment in which you could actually create the circumstance that would be your imminent demise. Yeah, I have to be in control of my legs. <laughs> you know, like, that, that's, that's just a fun sentence. Though. <laughs> that might be the name of the episode. <laughs> I have to be in control of my legs. That's amazing. Uh, what time is it? Oh, man, we still have a lot of time left. Oh, you know what we have to talk about? Challenges. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> Yeah, I, I know what that sound means. That means you didn't do yours. <laughs> I I kind of did, um, but I was trying to I was trying to create a surprise version of the the challenge, and in doing so, I made a much harder task for myself, and then just didn't end up doing it the original way. Mm. Um, Remind so my, everybody what it was. My task was to figure out that that song um, on piano. Are you sure, Willie Nelson? Yeah, and instead of trying to figure it out on piano like I always do, I try to figure it out on guitar. Uh, that is uh, something even more exotic. No, like a ukulele <laughs> or something. Like that. Although I did, um, the, I, I did get a, a gift of a metal kazoo um, from Jen. Um, so I'm now going to be producing some very strange kazoo pieces. Um, but yeah, I tried to I tried to learn it on guitar because uh, in my mind I'm like, oh, it's not that difficult a song. I could figure it out. How hard could it be? Um, well, Willie Nelson. Sometimes the simplest things are the by far the most difficult, and I feel like that song is a fantastic example of that. Um, I'm not a horrible guitar player, but by, I'm by no means an accomplished guitar player either. And I fought my way through that song, and it sounds awful. Um, <laughs> like the guitar work is so childish sounding. It's, it sounds like I've never picked up a guitar in my life before. Um, and it's because of how simple it is, strangely. Um, so I did not figure it out on piano, but I did figure it out on guitar and it is not at the level at which I want to record it yet. So that will be coming, but it will be a little bit of time before I get that down. And any progress on Wham? Uh, no, I completely haven't thought about it. Um, this week I've been pushing so hard towards finding a new job that I've, I've not really done much, um, other than that for, for a couple of days. So that, that is still not done yet. And my challenge was to do 50 story descriptions. So here's an interesting thing. Since I changed that I was going to do those, I didn't really need them, but I did them anyways. So I did do it. Um, Got some good ones? uh, Depends on your perspective. (laughs) 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 They're, They're interesting. I don't know if they're good or not, but... And they're not all personal stories either. Some of them are just stories. Like, oh, that's an interesting thing. But yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with those. Maybe they'll just be worked into those Patreon episodes. So, oh, action items. 
share songs. I don't remember what that meant. Uh, we were going to do that on uh, the text message, and it seems oh. like only you and I are doing it. We, yeah, we did start it. It didn't really go anywhere. Well, I don't not necessarily know that Tom understands what we were doing. We didn't really explain it to him. Yeah, good point. We just kind of <laughs> threw it out there. <laughs> Poor Tom. Sorry, dude. Uh, yeah, so... That, but action items we did. Um, did you make your tears? Uh, I have not. So that one, we got to 50%. I will, I will, I will. I will. Um, Find a new job. Okay, well, we still have a lot of time left. We can talk about something else before we pick our challenges. Got any topics you want to talk about? I can open up the Instagram and see if there's anything I forgot to talk about. From my um, perspective. I, 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 so I, I randomly saw... Because I have a thing for Mila Kunis, because who doesn't? Um, mm-hmm. both, both male and female on that one. I recently saw on uh, Hulu, um, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Oh, yeah. Um, What's her name? McKinnon? Uh, yeah, from Saturday Night Kate, Live. Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. By the way, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, just full stop amazing. She's one of the most amazing women I've ever seen. Like so much talent in one human. It's just ridiculous. Um, Mila Kunis is okay in that movie. But guess who else is in that movie as a British uh, intelligence officer? Please say Emma Watson. Nope. Gillian Anderson. Oh, interesting. And she's really damn good at playing that role, man. What well, um, I mean, is... Is There's, that kind of not maybe not too much of a stretch from the fall, right? Yeah, exactly. Like she literally played the character that she played in the fall, and she's so believable in that character that I'm kind of forgetting that she's a, she's American. Mm, yeah, I know she does British really well, actually. Yeah, and it's not just the accent; it's the posture, it's it's the the, the inflections, it's the stature, it's everything about it. I'm, I'm I haven't watched the fall, so uh, you'll have to correct me on this. But she's Irish in the fall, though, right? Ah. Uh... Isn't it? She's like an Irish. Let me think. Kind of. She's somebody, still. She's still, she's still very British in in the fall, from what I remember. I haven't seen it since it, it was out officially out, but um, yeah, I, I would say so. I guess. I think uh, I don't remember. I confuse it with other things. So, and if I haven't seen it, no way I could remember. Yeah, true. Good point. Um, I have a recommendation, and I'll throw out there something that I do, I don't know how long they've been doing this. Um, Apple Music playlists, pre-made mm. playlists. Mm. Uh, anybody that saw it on Instagram, I put up the Stoner Doom Sludge um, metal playlist that I've been listening to. So what they're doing with this is very similar to what Spotify does in the sense that it's not a one-time playlist. This I, I don't remember if it said weekly or monthly. I think it's monthly. So they'll put it up and then in a month that Stoner Doom Sludge playlist is going to have different songs hmm. um, in the same genre. Awesome. Because it's nice to just go into these little niche genres mm-hmm. and you subscribe to the, you know, you add the playlist to your thing, but the changes go through. So you want to add the song. I mean, one of the reasons I hate Spotify is because of that 10,000 10, song limit. Yeah. I don't like not being able to save music to my library. That's stupid. And there's absolutely no logical reason that they don't do that. And especially if you officially own it, that's just dumb. Yeah. And in Apple Music, you can save as much shit as you want to your library because all it's doing is going, it's bookmarking it essentially. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. there's no fucking download going on there. What yeah. the fuck's the matter with you, Spotify? Um, so what's really cool about it is, so you have this changing playlist, but then you go through, you're like, oh, I like that song. 
mm-hmm. and you can just add that to your library. And then when the playlist changes, you still get to keep that song, but the playlist is different. So it's a really cool way to do it. And I've been, I don't know how long they've been doing those, but the artwork is fucking awesome. I thought that I thought they were just playlists, you know, like we made this once done and I just yeah. happened to click into that and I was like, oh no, this is a changing one. So highly, highly recommend that. And in general, I highly recommend you all drop Spotify um, just because they're spying on you and saving your location data and selling it. So yeah, I'm still going to use them. <laughs> That's the problem is people don't fucking care anymore. So guess what? Privacy is out the window. Spotify sucks anyways. Yeah. Their fucking user interface is terrible. You know what though? The, the, the difficult thing for me is, is, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, the, the way I share music is, is through Spotify with other people. And I just don't want to, com- I just don't want to completely redo that. Yeah. So you're habituated to giving them your data. They know where you are at all times. Yep. I know it. Yep. I'm not okay with that. Um, speaking of recommendations, uh, everyone go listen to Henry Bardot. I think it's Bardot, B-A-R-D-O-T. Um, I'm I'm really into modern piano right now, and he uses modern piano really, really well. Um, Explain the difference between modern piano and what everybody else would think is just piano. Well, I mean, you'd hear, you'd know the difference if you heard it. Um, if you hear classical piano, like hearing Claire de Lune or something like that, like at Rondo Alla Turca, there's a very specific pattern to classical piano that's that that kind of highlights the piano as the instrument itself that's that's controlling the action um, versus more modern piano. I don't even know if that's a proper term, um, but hearing artists use piano in a very different way um, um, in that it's more of a percussion instrument. Um, the song I'm thinking of in particular is called Make You Love Me and it's by Henry Bardo and it's pretty spectacular. So this would be like a post-John Cage type stuff. Yeah-ish. Um, although although there are elements of that. I mean, don't get me wrong, like modern piano is probably a misnomer of a term. I'm sure people have been doing this for the ages. It's just finally gotten to the point where it's it's more socially acceptable to hear it. So that's that's probably where it is now. Hmm. Oh, another recommendation I have. I've almost forgot about this one. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Holy fuck, that is a good movie. Really? Oh my God. That I mean, that's one of the best Marvel movies ever. Hmm. it's it's so good it's literally one of those movies where you watch and you go there's literally no missteps in this film at all and i i don't know i didn't go into it with any expectations i was just like i like spider-man it's a cartoon Mm -hmm. sure and just the only thing i was resistant to was like oh it's miles morales and not peter parker Mm -hmm. and by the end of this i'm like miles morales is the shit you know, like it's that good of a movie, man. It just converts you. Interesting. It's it's so. I heard other people talk about like it's so good and been and like downplaying what they meant by that, but it is everything everybody says it is. Interesting. Yeah, I feel I feel like that that was one of the movies where the hype machine got me. Like I just I'm so resistant to watching it because of how much people told me I should be watching it. It is the best Spider-Man movie. Ah, damn it. All right. I'll watch it. It is so good. And it's just, it's so fun and playful. The only thing I will say about it that is Netflix's fault and not the movie's fault is I'm pretty sure it's in 3D. Oh. But they don't tell you that 
<laughs> so uh, not everything you need to be, but there's it's like certain elements are 3D. Like they get that, you know, when there's like the, you get the blue and red separation on certain things. Mm-hmm. So some of the objects in the background get that. I don't know if it's a stylistic choice, but I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's actually 3D. I didn't have glasses to test it out. Um, but yeah, there are certain parts where I, I got like 20 minutes in the movie. I'm like, am I getting old or is this, is this like fuzzy? <laughs> I thought it was in my eyes. And then I was like, no, this is 3D. Hmm. I'm pretty sure this is 3D. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Anytime I see like that blue and red separation, you know, like you see the object and then there's like a blue shadow and a red shadow. Yeah. That's 3D. Yeah. Hmm. So you might want to have some 3D glasses ready. Um, well, I wonder if there's a version in which you can make that choice. Not that I could tell, no. And I was in their app. I see, okay. It didn't even tell you. It doesn't even say presented in 3D. I don't know if you're supposed to know that or if every version of the movie was like that. I have no idea. All I know is that there were definitely certain parts where when there's a lot of foreground, a lot of background, and a lot of midground, where I'm like, whoa, whoa, am I drunk? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just like, or or as uh, men in their forties are apt to say, like, oh, I guess that eyeball's not working today. <laughs> have you experienced that yet? By the way, I have not experienced that yet. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Oh well, you are a little bit younger than me, so it's coming soon. Wait, what? What does that mean? It's called this. Well, when you're in your forties, the rods in your eyes become less flexible. Mm-hmm. This is why usually in their 40s, people start wearing reading glasses when they never needed glasses before and why most old people have glasses um, because your eyes become old. <laughs> they become less uh, less good at focusing. So for example, one day I woke up, this was like a month ago, I woke up and I'm all th- and looking around and going, hmm, things look a little bit weird. So then I did the one camera, two camera thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Camera one, everything good. Camera two, whoa, let's fix the focus there. You know, like when you're groggy in the morning, your eyes not focused? Mm-hmm. Well, imagine if that one eye was like that for 24 hours. Holy shit. Yeah. So that's called aging. I, I have not had that experience. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for giving me something horrifying to look forward to. <laughs> well, now that you know it's going to happen, you'll be less horrified. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I was like, oh my God, my eye is broken. And then I found out like, yeah. I talked to a couple of people older than me. They're like, oh, yeah, that's called just normal. Yeah, shit just happens. Yeah, I, was, I, I have that experience too. Like I'll wake up now and certain things will hurt and I'll be like, is there something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, and I have my dad just like laugh at me saying, nope, <laughs> that's just totally normal. Your shit's just going to hurt for no reason. Like, okay, cool. That sucks. My grandfather was apt of saying it one of two ways. He'd either say, getting old is the shits. <laughs> or he'd say it in Sicilian. He'd say, La vacaia è, è brutte. Old age is brutal. Mm. Oh, I feel like that is a great episode name. Old age is brutal? Yeah, or the La vacaia è brutte? Yeah, I don't have no idea how to spell it. And there's no way I could look it up. It's in Sicilian. So no. it's a dead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead language. <laughs> that's why I was like, people are like, oh, you know some Italian? I'm like, nope. Nope. I know another language that's similar to Italian. Yeah, it roughly dead. resembles Italian. <laughs> my actually funny story here, real quick. Um, in the eighties, my grandfather went. He was he was born here first mm-hmm. of all. Yeah, his parents were born in Sicily. Um, he was one of the very 
very rare people of his generation actually be born here um, from Italy. Um, so he went to Sicily in like 85 or something like that. He'd never been over there before. Mm-hmm. And he went over there to visit some cousins and stuff like that. And <laughs> he was like down by the docks, which is kind of everywhere in Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> It's I was a, gonna say, isn't it one huge ass island? Well, it's yeah, it's it's basically it's docks and a couple of hills. Um, <laughs> That's I would love for someone to describe it though. Uh, you know, it's just a few docks and a couple of hills, whatever. One big long dock. Yeah, lots of lots of docks. It's gonna be fine. Food's great. But he goes over there and he's he's trying. He's he's my grandfather was really funny because he would he he was a talker. Let's put it that way. So he would, if he knew something, he would share it. And he wanted to show off that he could speak Italian, that he could speak Sicilian, right? So he's going around, he's by the dock and there's like some kid there and he says something to the kid in Sicilian and the kid looks at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, who is the, what is this guy saying? And <laughs> he says to somebody, uh, somebody sitting next to him, he goes, what language is he speaking? <laughs> And and then there's an old guy, I guess, that was sitting there. He's like, "Wow, I haven't heard Italian like that in like 50 years." Yeah, because they didn't speak it anymore. And for anybody who doesn't understand the history of that, when Mussolini took over Italy, he made everybody speak one Italian. Yeah, the dialects did persist, but only as long as they were taught within families. You know, like if you go to uh, uh, Calabria, they still speak Calabrese, but some regions just lost it, and Sicily just kind of lost it. They just Started speaking Roman, essentially, is is the official Italian. Hmm. But yeah, really funny. My grandfather was also the kind of guy, his mother was, my great-grandmother, his mother was born in Africa mm-hmm. um, because it was there was a war in Italy. So they all took off from Sicily over to Africa because it's, you know, it's right there. Sure. And they probably had family there too of some sort, you know, like centuries of people in the Mediterranean there. Uh, but he used to go to the grocery store and he would tell people, he was African. <laughs> he was he's Italian, so he's like this white dude. But he would go and he would talk to people. And sometimes he'd be talking to black people and be like, well, you know what? I'm African. And he's just an old man. You know, he's not trying to be offensive. Yeah, he's yeah, sure. Totally. Trying to have a conversation. But I and guess he's not inaccurate either. Yeah. I mean, technically he was. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so he, I guess one time he was talking to uh, a black lady and, and her daughter. And he said, oh, you know, he's like, I was African. I'm an African. And uh, his daughter, the daughter said something. And the mom said, just like smacked her in the head, said, dummies, white people were born in Africa too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, she, oh, I think she said, you don't look black. And she's, oh, dummy. She says, white people were born in Africa that too. That is classic. And it's, it's not to mean anything. It's just funny that he, that's the kind of person he was. You just go... He was, we would let, you know, he would leave. Like he'd go, I'm going to the store. And he'd come back three hours later <laughs> because he was in the grocery store talking to every single person. Yeah, I've met guys like that. They're vastly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tangent. Fun tangent, though. Although it does tell me, I mean, I, I feel like I've learned more about your family history in this episode than I'd ever known before. Yeah, see, what's what's interesting is he was an extrovert, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the rest of, well, at least me and my uncle, his son, are introverts. But we learned everything from him. So we have this weird, like, people think we're extroverts. Because sure. we, we learn things from him, but we're not. <laughs> Definitely not. 
Yeah, I feel like I, I roughly have that same thing too. Like I'm not really an extrovert and I, I appear like I am one, you know, but I feel like I'm more introverted in the long run than I am an extrovert. And that's very strange for most people to, to consider when it comes to me because I do not seem like an introvert at all. Yeah, I like people. And I like that some people might not think that when they listen to the show. <laughs> I like people. I, I like the, I like my people. No, um, my friends and and I, I like new people too. Um, I'm just I'm not the person that's going to strike up a conversation with a stranger every time. Sometimes I will, sure, but not very often. Yeah, but I have a limit. And like uh, tomorrow, I'm assuming you're going as well. There's a birthday party tomorrow. That's yep, I am. And, and there will be a certain time, even though it's going to be full of my friends, there will be a certain time in the evening where I'm like, and I'm done yep. because I run out of brain energy. Sure. And that's how, but up until that point, I'll probably be talking a lot. Yep. It's not like I'm sitting there staring at the walls, um, but I'll be talking a lot, but then my brain energy will run out and that's how I know I'm an introvert. So I'm like, okay, out of fuel. And luckily the party is one block from my house. Is it really? I didn't know it was that close. Yeah, it's literally one block. <laughs> like, no uh, exaggeration. A short I, block, too. I did not realize that Brandon's house was that close to yours. That's not Brandon's house. Wait, it's, where is it? We'll talk about this afterwards. Everybody listening doesn't... Yeah, no, no, no one gives a shit but us. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just forget that we're recording sometimes. I know. We'll talk about it in a minute. Um, let's do some challenges. What are your, what's your new challenge going to be? Uh, um... I had one, but it doesn't. I've got to stop doing the music ones because I feel like I'm just stacking them up now, and there's a lot to do. Um, I want to do a full drawing of something. Mm, that's interesting. That'll be a really good Patreon post. Yeah, that'll be amazing. Um, you know what? I'm going to do something different here. Lamb, give me a challenge. Oh, um. I want you to write and post a page from the book. Mm, interesting. I'll Actually, let's be more specific. I want you to write and read a page from the book for your Patreon. Okay. I can do that. It won't make sense to anybody but me, but <laughs> it will happen. <laughs> I'm not going to give people the first page. <laughs> well, why don't why don't we do this then? Let's check my challenge. You give me one. All right. Um, now you put me on the spot. I don't well, know. you just literally put me on the spot for yours. So yeah. payback's a bitch. All right. My challenge is by next week that you have the, the introduction of your Patreon rewritten to actually make people want to... <laughs> <laughs> Instead of trying, trying to convince them not to follow you, you should convince them to follow you. Yeah. Follow me or don't follow me. Whatever. Yeah, explain what you're going to do on there and, and what what you're hoping to get out of it and why they're going to be interested in it. You know, have fun with it. And actually, instead of treating it as a chore, treat it as a writing project. Oh, interesting. That's that's a, that's a new way for me to see it. Mm-hmm. That's the way... It, it's not a chore, right? It should be fun because people, people want to read it. And then they go, this sounds like something I want to pay money to. Sure. So that's my challenge to you. Got it. Hmm. Um, pee pee. I have to go pee pee. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> what the fuck? 
That sounds like something that's bouncing around in your dog's head. That's what the fuck was that? That's why it happened. That's why it happened. Yeah. Those are words I use with the dog, right? What in the shit was that? And I was thinking, like, dog's got to go to the bathroom. I was like, he probably has to go to the bathroom in the back of my head. Oh my God. That but is, I have to, but oh. I do have to pee. And it came out. That was one of the best moments ever on the podcast. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea that was coming. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, wow. And I don't think we can go much further than that. <laughs> uh, if you would like to follow me on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> for more riveting content like that for a uh, photo of this of what comes oh out oh my god minute. that is unbelievable i had no idea that was coming if you'd like to see the color of my urine <laughs> oh my god i'm crying you can follow me on patreon at patreon.com forward slash holy fools productions full productions <laughs> oh man okay uh, this week i put up an episode of pants in the chair which is about writing my novel where i talked about the very progressive day i had with the voice notes thing and then an app called scapel um and then i will probably be putting out a second episode after lamb and i finish recording this uh, not a pants in the chair. One of the other ones. Lamb, where can they find you on Patreon? Uh, Patreon.com slash The Vacant Room. Uh, you can also find me on social media at The Vacant Room. Um, that's The Vacant Room. The at is obligatory, obviously. And uh, also find our Holy Fool Productions Instagram. Yep. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to follow Tom on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Tom Woodrum. And as Lamb said, random badassery Instagram. And there's the Twitter, which is a robot auto feed. So if you want to follow that, please, please, please do. Um, yeah, I'm fairly certain the chat has to go pee pee. Yes, pee pee. I need to go pee pee. <laughs> also, please. Um, oh my God. I never asked for this. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Or whatever the fuck it's called now. Oh, I burped. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is just train wrecking right now. You like burped through the word. I've never heard you do that before. Yeah, that was um, magic. And you somehow interrupted the burp with the word and then vice versa. Yeah, magic. Jeez. That's what I call magic. Jeez. So, um, yeah, um, I'm going to apparently go to the bathroom now. So, bye-bye, babies. <laughs> <laughs> bye. <laughs> Oh my god, what the fuck was that? That was one of the weirdest moments. Because <laughs> it's completely unprompted. You're like, pee-pee. <laughs> I have to go pee-pee. <laughs> like a fucking mental patient. Oh my Jesus, god. There was, not, there was no bookend on either side of that that would have made it make any sense at all. <laughs> oh my god, it's amazing. Uh, I really amazing. have to learn to breathe when I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I almost passed out like four times. <laughs> oh my god, it's unbelievable. Uh, well, that's that was special. Thank you for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>